Hello and welcome. I'm David. And I'm Candace. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Where Math Happens. We are passionate about serving and inspiring teachers because it brings us joy to see people at their best. On today's episode, we're going to discuss being a problem solver. We like to start every episode with the pop, the problem of the podcast. Yay. So I have one here for you today. It's a little lengthy. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Do you remember the princess and the pea? I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> okay, we're going to pretend you did. So okay. the princess and the pea, it's a fairy tale. Okay. She had problems sleeping because of the pea under her mattress. Okay. Well, her problem was tiny compared to that of her cousin, the duchess. The duchess bought a radio, got back to the castle, and discovered that it played only rock music. Okay. Horrors, she gasped. Where is Beethoven? So she took the radio back and exchanged it, mm -hmm. only to have the same thing happen again. Okay. The Duchess exchanged quite a few radios before she found one that would pick up a classical station back at the castle. Oh, okay. She was glad to finally own a radio, and she would be certain to handle it with care so she wouldn't have to take this one back. Oh, I see what's <laughs> happening here. Okay. So you might be wondering how many radios the Duchess took back before she found the right one. Yeah, I was. So here's your clue. Okay. The total number of radios divided in half, mm -hmm. added to nine, equals three-fourths the number of radios. Okay. So there's our problem. Here's your problem. How many radios did she return? All right. I like this. Hmm, that's interesting. It's pretty long, right? Yeah. So a lot of information. That's what I was gonna say. Before we even get started, what did we notice here? Well, I was waiting for some math because <laughs> there was a long story there about some princess and the pea and her cousin. Um, so as soon as I started to hear some numbers, I, I realized here comes the math problem towards the end. Towards the end, yeah. yeah. And I can even see like if we had this with our students, right? They're mm -hmm. gonna be going. Why am I reading about the princess and the pea? Yeah. And this is supposed to be a math problem. And there was some play on words with the names. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like maybe there were some distractors there, but um, the math was right there at the end. And as soon as you started sharing that, I wrote down um, like a little problem for me to try to attempt to solve this problem. Yeah. Right at the end. Right at the end. So this problem can be or some math problems can be overly detailed. Yeah, yeah. Right. All, all grade levels, I think. We've seen those word problems where there's a lot of distractors or they, sometimes they're silly because they might not make sense. But I see what we're trying to do with the math. We're taking those numbers that we usually solve in computational problems and put them into some sort of real-world scenario. But some of these problems can be kind of kind of messy, kind of kind of silly. That is. Now, we're not going to actually solve this. I know you wrote that down. We, yeah. we don't have time to actually solve this yeah. on our podcast. I will do it after we're done. We, we will do it after we're done. And I did solve it, and it was a lot of fun okay. to, to figure that out. So I encourage you to do that. And those of you who want to try to do this, you're math lovers like us, um, you can go on to rpdp.net, click on resources, math, and then the podcast and you will find this problem, this problem okay. there and all the others we've done. Love it. 
So today we were going to talk about our topic of the day was being a problem solver. And so mm -hmm. a couple of questions for us to ponder. Um, why is it important, this, this skill or this idea of problem solving? And when do we, when do we problem solve, Candice? Every day. Every <laughs> yeah, right? All of the time. Right? All yeah. of the time. Life is messy. Life throws challenges at us. Yeah. All the time they can be big challenges but yeah. even down to our little challenge like i gotta get to work at so and so time what time do i have to sure. set my alarm how many times can i hit the snooze button before yeah. i'm gonna yeah. be late that's a problem <laughs> that could be a problem um even in a math program sometimes they have a section called problem solving and obviously those are problem solving opportunities but throughout the book for, throughout the lesson, I think for solving problems and being a problem solver, right? Absolutely. Um, what about why is it important to be a problem solver or to be a good problem solver? Why is that important? How does that help us? It just, it defines who you are as a person. It helps you face those challenges in life. And a challenge could be something as simple as a change. Yeah. Right. We all change is inevitable. There's going to be changes in our life and how we react to them and how we uh, move forward with that change. Every problem is different too, whether we're talking about different types of math problems. Obviously we're, you know, this is a math podcast and we're talking about mathematics and I'm talking specifically in an elementary classroom, but like problem solving, just being in the real world, like you said, problem, problem solving is everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. So I was at the physical therapist office and okay. physical therapist was working um, with my, my husband and another therapist is there. They're just chatting and she's like, yeah, I don't do math. <laughs> I haven't done math since my final of my last class I took. Oh, interesting. And it made me laugh because I'm like, you do math all the time. Probably, like, <laughs> probably. Because yeah. you're problem solving all the time mm -hmm. again. Did you know what time to leave your house to get to work? <laughs> yeah. Or even as a physical therapist, there's definitely math in that career field, I'm sure. Oh, I, I watch them all the time. I just measure like a hand. Yeah. Like how much um, mo flexibility yeah. do you have? Mobility. Mm -hmm. I was going to say momentum. Mobility do you have? And so they'll measure what it is today. And then the next time you come and the next time you come. And they're using those numbers to determine, did you get better? Yeah. So it makes me think about too, like how do we handle these changes or problems that occur as adults. Like we've got children in the classroom and we're preparing them to be problem solvers. And then how do us adults handle problem solving in the real world? And like you said, um, depending on the challenge and uh, when change occurs, it makes us uncomfortable. And so how do we attack mm -hmm. that? I think it develops like really important skills, perseverance and things like that. And we should ah, more about that, that. There's that perseverance, right? And yeah. you're saying, it's uncomfortable and we need to remember that when we're talking about our students and we're giving them different problems to yes. solve and to, to attack, you yeah. know, that they're uncomfortable it's and just, how do we teach them to become more comfortable with that? Just going to develop a resilient person, I think, to be a problem solver. So yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's bring this back to the class, to the classroom, to the math classroom. And okay. when we're trying to develop a, a mathematical proficient learner, a problem solver, um, there's like five strands and I want you to think about like each strand literally being a string, right? And, and they're woven together and each one of these five strands, if we, if we put them together, makes a really strong mathematician. But if you only had one of these strands, not going to be as strong as a, or proficient a, of a mathematician as someone who has all five of these strands. So kind of like a braided rope. 
Yeah. Like one rope is not as strong as if we had five ropes that were braided together, how strong that rope would be. Absolutely. So which of these five strands do we make sure all of our learners have? Let's just walk through these. Like the first okay. strand is being procedurally fluent. I think we okay. do a lot of that in, in the classroom, making sure okay. our students are fluent with procedural mathematics. That's an important piece, but that's just one of those strands to that, would you call it that, that that rope, that just rope. A, a rope. Yeah, it's just really one of the pieces, strong. and it's an important piece. But also to be able to be strategically competent or have adaptive reasoning, those two strands, as problems arise that you don't know how to immediately attack with a, a procedure, are you, are you able to be strategic? Are you able to adapt? And I will be honest, as a mathematician, especially in my school years, that's somewhere that I struggled because I was really good at that procedural. You yeah. tell me the steps to do, I could memorize and follow them. If it was not completely clear, yeah. I would be scratching my head. What do I do next? And I'm seeing this in the classroom more and more, which is exciting. A lot of times it entails working with a partner, working in groups, and we're problem solving together. Amazing. And there's like challenges that come with that too, because maybe someone in the group is seeing it different than me or attacking it different and they're using different strategies. And so I think that's important for us to see. And then for the teacher to be able to pick and choose how to turn that into, you know, like a valuable learning opportunity. And that goes to like that efficient use of your mathematics. So even you'll have students who can solve it, but sometimes they take and I, again, I'm one of those, goes all the way around the circle, never thought to take the shortcut oh, to the sure. middle. Yeah, that happens but when time. I hear how you solved it, yeah. I'm like, oh my oh, gosh. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, why yeah. didn't I think of that? And then think about that in life. And so another big piece, so there's three so far, procedural fluency, being strategic, mm -hmm. uh, being adaptive. And then also a fourth one is conceptual understanding. More than ever, we're asking students to like see the math. And so we're putting the math in front of them, not just the numbers, but like some sort of models or representations and the use of manipulatives so they can see that concept. So they can mm -hmm. see the quantity of four, not just the number four in an equation. And, and that's just an example of you know, a number, but these other domains and fractions and geometry, we want them to really see those concepts. So having conceptual understanding, I think makes light bulbs go off. And, and that the, goes back to that adaptive, right? Because yeah. if I have that conceptual understanding and can see things differently, yeah. now I can adapt it to whatever problem comes my way. Yeah, you're right. And adapt it to the real world, maybe. You know? mm -hmm. And then the final one is just to have a productive disposition of mathematics. Like, are you somebody who sees mathematics as a sensible, useful, and worthwhile skill? And a learner who has productive disposition, you know, they're probably self-confidence in mathematics, it's just going to prepare them to be mathematically proficient and then to bring to be a problem solver. So David, I'm thinking back to bringing it back to the classroom like you were doing and thinking about how is problem solving or being a problem solver related to the standards for math, math, mathematical practice, specifically math practice one, which is the shortcut of it is making sense of problems and persevere in solving them. Yeah, great question. So this, how is problem solving related to math practice one? Yeah, it, and first of all, to me, it's that overarching habit of mind. If you can't make sense of the problem, 
you most likely are not going to be able to solve it. Yeah. No matter math or not, right? We need to make sense of that. And then we have to have that perseverance, that desire to solve it mm -hmm. and to make sure Don't we see up. it through. Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up. It just makes me think of a couple of things. As, as a problem is given to us, whether it's a word problem or some sort of problem of the day or whatever, as a problem arises in math, we got to make sense of the problem and, you know, make meaning of it. What, what is it asking us to do? That's I like something, that. Making something, meaning. something I think about. And um, looking for that starting point, yeah. right? Where, Where do, do I even, even begin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you got to come up with a plan maybe as you're trying to determine how to solve this. Cause that's, what's different about being a problem solver than just solving some equations. The equations kind of tell you what to do, mm -hmm. add, subtract, multiply, divide. But when you read a real world problem or a word problem, you have to decide what to do. And once you're good at it, you don't realize you're doing it, but yeah. you're always making that plan. How am I going to yeah. approach this problem, right? Yeah. But something else about being a good problem solver that falls under here is making sure if it's not working, change your approach. Mm, you know, this I just like isn't that. working for me. So I got to revise that plan. Yeah, that, that happens all the time. And that's where some people quit or give up. And that perseverance isn't there, like you said. And that happens a lot, I think. Interesting. Um, I think too, whenever you're solving a problem, you do have some previous learned background knowledge or skills already in your repertoire of math skills, but you mm -hmm. might even not know that you need to use those skills to help you solve this new problem. And so that will arise also, I think, when we're solving new problems. I'm trying to make sense of it. Does this remind yeah. you of anything? Yep. Right. What you just said, make sense of like, does, does this make sense as you're continually going through the problem solving process. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? And like you said, be adaptive and change if it doesn't. And so I, go ahead. What, what does the teacher, what is the teacher doing during this time? If we're like looking in a math classroom, what is the teacher doing to, to facilitate, yeah, facilitate this problem solving? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the first things is, is if I just give you a computation problem, 43 plus three. Yeah. That's really not a big, like you said earlier, problem solving task, right? Sure. So I want to give my students rich mathematical tasks, mm -hmm. tasks that are rooted in the real world. Yeah, That's going to help them become a better problem solver in math class and in life. You know what? I want to add a piece. Uh, I remember reading an article about, I think it's about fifth graders and up, fifth graders to high school. At, at, as soon as they start learning this new math in their grade level in their classroom in those grades, they start questioning, like, why do I need to know that? And if you mm -hmm. can't connect it to the real world, they're going to lose the like intrinsic motivation to even want to learn it because they don't see the connection to this formula or algorithm that you're showing them, this procedure. Oh, I'll never have to use that. So I think what you just mm -hmm. said here about rich tasks and, and real world problems, that'll make those connections and want the, the learner to continue to use it because they see the value in it. I agree. Interesting. And another thing is, and I find, and I know in today's classroom, this is probably the hardest thing, but we have to provide time mm, yeah. for them to solve it. We can't say, here's that, read this princess of the P, you've got two and a half minutes. Go. Yeah. <laughs> it it yeah. takes a lot. It takes time. It takes that rich discourse. Mm -hmm. Going back to that, those strands that you were talking about all have to go there for them to be able to make sense of that problem. And we won't even talk about the perseverance. There's a whole yeah, other yeah. thing that's a great topic. I'm looking forward to talking about that in a future podcast. But are we providing enough time 
to be mm-hmm. problem solvers. Yeah, that's that's important. Um, you can go too fast and skip through some of those things. I remember sometimes being fast because of the lack of time. But when you do provide quality time to solve, you know, appropriate amount of time to solve tasks, I'd rather do two or three of those type of problems. I was just thinking that. And 20 fast problems on a worksheet. I don't want that to, to, I don't want to think that I did a lot of math because I did 20 problems on a worksheet, whereas I did a, I did a lot of problem solving yeah. and developing that in my students by just doing two or three rich tasks. And getting like that. that conceptual knowledge yeah. and using those procedural and using all of those things yeah. together. So, I agree. So that's like, that's what the teacher's doing. You're saying r- provide rich tasks, provide time, but what, like, what are the students doing during the problem solving process? What does that, what does that look like? Well, I think the first thing, if I was like peek into a classroom, right, I should see the students actively engaging in the problems. But when I say that, they're actively engaging in making sense of it. Yeah. They're not going, I don't get it. And waiting <laughs> yeah. for me to then make sense yeah. of that problem. Teacher, they are trying. It. Done. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. Um, yeah. And like you said earlier, too, there's probably more than one way to attack these problems. So different strategies arise. And you're only going to discover that, I think, when you're working with other students and mm-hmm. having that discourse and sharing all of the different strategies that arise and then maybe determining which of those strategies might be the most efficient as we're going through this journey of becoming a problem solver. Yeah. And and they're just they're always revisiting, always adapting there. So I think that's what we'd see with our students. Love it. Why do you think students struggle so much with problem solving? Man, these kids these days. <laughs> uh, it, it, one, first of all, I think it's work. Like as soon as there's work, some of us don't want to do that work. And so I think they're testing us and they're pushing us. But if we're just going to look at like a problem solving scenario, like a word problem or a performance task, I think the first thing that comes to mind in regards to struggle is the reading that's involved. There's a lot of mm-hmm. reading and reading could be distracting and all of those things. And we'll probably talk more about that here in a minute. And then it's like, it doesn't tell me what to do. So I have to choose and identify the the skill that I need to use. And so all this decision-making and those things are just starting to lose some of our learners because maybe they haven't developed perseverance yet. And so Mm -hmm. we're starting to develop strugglers in problem solving. Or being able to reach back to the prior knowledge. So if they have to guess what the correct operation is, it's probably because they haven't had as much experience um, in doing that. Another thing, and again, I'm I'm guilty of this. I feel like I'm, I'm just keep saying me, 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 but visualizing that structure and looking for patterns. Yeah. When they're reading, they just can't see it. And they're trying to figure out how is this related to each other? Is there a pattern going on? And it's just a disconnect for them. I think it's important to record that stuff down in a scratch paper, math notebook, and just your ideas. You might see those patterns arise. Exactly. So that goes right to the next thing I was thinking, which was like breaking down that complex problem. So if I was able to write this down and look for those patterns, I'd be breaking down that Mm -hmm. complex problem into more logical steps, more easy. I hate to use the word easy steps that are more simple to get me to that point. And I've seen students like make a prediction or a guess or like a conjecture. And they're like, I, I notice every time we do this, this is happening. And not a lot of students are doing that too, so that's part of the struggle. It's like they're scared to even guess sometimes. I'm glad to use that word scared to because I know students, if they don't know 100% they're right, yeah. they don't want to mention it at all. Yeah. Um, and that goes with them justifying their thinking. So if they don't feel 100% confident, they mm-hmm. don't even want to share yeah, why they think that's the answer. Yeah. Kind of 
shut down in regards to the justifying your reasoning, defending your thinking type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've, I've seen a lot is, you know, we're trying to help our students and, but I've done some reading and we've seen these before where just there's a couple of strategies that they suggest not to use. And one of them is keywords. Like don't just always use the keyword strategy because mm-hmm. that strategy is not always effective, especially in the long term. Like you pull out the word more, more means add. But as we know, when we, re- we read certain problems, the word more doesn't always mean to add in certain exactly. word problems. You might be subtracting. And, a, and another one is like, those, the, I don't know what you call them, but these, these models, these solving models, these acronyms or these, like there's one called cubes, for example. I've seen cubes. Okay. I've used cubes before, but it's like an acronym for C, circle all the numbers, U, underline, B, box the keywords, E, eliminate, S, solid, cubes. That isn't always effective either, they say, because you won't always be able to solve every word problem with that acronym or those steps. Um, It's just not that simple because, as we know, problem solving can be messy. And Um, also, just see that to me, and I've done it myself again many times, um, but it takes away that critical thinking because now they're not reading the problem. They're just looking for parts. They're skimming the problem. Yeah. And they're gonna. They may miss some important details. They're 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 becoming procedural once mm-hmm. again, and that's not always the most effective strategy to develop in a problem solver. So, um, another thing, and I've always said this, and I and I have to say, I uh, had heard this somewhere else, and it's called and in it's. I've always said reading math is different from reading anything else. Okay. But I couldn't put it into words, and. Um, I read this article and they put it in words and it made sense. And so it comes down to this. Most other readings, your fiction, even your nonfiction, in science, all these other content areas, you're given a topic sentence and then all these details to support it. I see. In math, Mm -mm. and if we go back to our (laughs) princess and the pea, you're given all the details and your topic sentence, which is your question, is at the end. Yeah, it's not at the beginning. So students are trying to use all of these great reading strategies Mm -hmm. they've learned and trying to apply it to math, and it's just not working. It doesn't work. I gotcha. But we can take a little bit of their prior knowledge and the things that are the same. So there are some similar things. First of all, there's characters in your story. Sure. Go back to Princess and the Pea, right? There was the princess and the duchess. Mm -hmm. Well, in math, we have characters, yeah. they're called quantities, 27, mm. nine. Yeah. So we have our students make that connection. Our characters in a story have a relationship. Mm-hmm. The princess and the duchess were cousins, yeah. right? That's how they relate to each other. Mm-hmm. In a math problem, you might have miles per hour. How yeah. is 60 Related. That's how many miles I'm going to go in an hour. There are some connections. Yeah. There's some differences too. And they solve problems. So the Duchess had a problem. (laughs) She needed to get some sleep, right? Well, in our math, it came down to when we think of even that problem is how many radios did she return? So there's your problem. So there's some great similarities. Connections can be made. Yeah, but we also need to look at that difference and help our students through that. And I have a great strategy that I'm gonna share with you that hopefully will help with that. Okay. So David, the strategy that I wanna share, it's called the three read strategy. Okay, I've heard that. You 
What is that? Well, um, it's really, the gist of it is we're going to have the students read the problem three times. And each time they read it, they're reading for something different. Okay. And I call it a strategy because we're going to teach our students how to do this. Because if I just told them, I want you to go do the three read strategy, they literally would read, Sally went to the store, Sally went to the store, Sally went to the store. Boom, I read it three times, right? So um, first thing I like to do is I give them a problem and I don't put the question on. So that's the first one. First thing I do is I don't put the question. Because the very first reading I want them to do is I want them literally just to read for context. Okay. And when I say that, what I'm, I like to tell my students, read this story problem and tell me if you had to give it a movie title, what would it be? Okay. Because that's going to give them an overall sense of what the problem's about. Okay. So this first read is read for context. So that is going to eliminate one of those struggles we talked about earlier that when we said students struggle with the reading part of the, the problem. So we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to eliminate that struggle through this first read? Yeah, okay. and if we leave the, the question out, right, we take off some of that pressure is, I gotta look for where's the question and I have yeah. to solve it. So they're literally just trying to tell us what this problem is about. Once they do that, then the next read that we do is now, again, I leave the question off, they're reading to understand the quantities and the relationships. So who's in this story? Those characters you're talking Those about. characters, yeah. right. So we're looking at those numbers. Who are they and how are they related to each other? Okay. Um, and that's, and I like to say you can even do those implicit numbers. And what do I mean by implicit? So if I said that um, Tommy has a garden, there's nine red flowers, six blue flowers. And that's okay. all it said. A number that I might be able to count is how many flowers are not red and blue. Yeah, and I think it's important, those details, not just what numbers did you see, 10, 9, but 10 what, 9 mm-hmm. what. Like that, I think those details are important in a problem-solving scenario too, depending on what they're going to have to try to do. We need to understand that. And that goes to that relationship, 10 what, 10 mm-hmm. red flowers. And I know I think I said 9 red flowers or something, yeah, yeah. 10 red flowers. That's that relationship. What is 10 related to here okay. and the related to the garden and just making those lists of what you do know and even those quantities that may be out there. It's going to help them be flexible and understand the problem more. I like this. So first read, we're just reading for context, understanding Mm -hmm. of the story. Second read, we're really starting to now do some of the, find some of the math and the Mm -hmm. numbers and and the quantities and the relationships to them. It's not just circle the numbers. It's like, what do they represent? Who are the characters and how are they related to each other? Okay. And finally, we read to determine what is the mathematical question. Now, at this point, you could give them the question, Mm -hmm. which is great. Or you could say to them, what questions could you answer with this information? I've seen this done where there's like a word problem with no questions. And then the, the, the class is asked, what questions do you have now? Or what questions could we create? I've seen this. Okay. Yeah. And that goes back to those strands, right? That helps you be adaptive with the information given. What could I answer? Okay. And and let's do that. Now, once you do this several times with your students, then you start adding the question on a more regular basis. But this is a great way to get them started. You can look up. This is not my strategy. I can't own it. Literally, if you were to Google three reads strategy, 
There's so many out there and they all have their own little nuance. I suggest you find the one that works for you and have them do that and, and, and do it. Just tweak it to where it works for you. But I guarantee you, you will start to teach your students to math practice one make sense of the problem. I, I, I agree. This sounds like a, a strategy that would help uh, make learners more efficient in being a problem solver. So if admin administration asks, why are you doing this uh, three read strategy? Like what's our justification? Justification. Um, first and foremost, that this strategy, this routine is rooted in our standards, Okay. our practice standards. So we've said this from the beginning. Yeah. Our practice standards are our standards are 50% of our standards. They're just not our content standards. And we've said this all along, that math practice one, right? They have to learn how to make sense of that problem before they can even think about solving it. Yeah. And then, of course, once they make sense of it, then it's about that perseverance. I think it would be easy to justify doing a, a strategy like this in the classroom. And I can't, I mean, I can't think of a grade level in elementary K-5 that does not have real world problems embedded in it every grade level, including kindergarten. Yeah, it's six through eight as well, high school, all of that is embedded. And it goes back to why are we doing this for real world application? Sure, and just you know, bring this all back together, just the act of problem solving and being an, a, a strong problem solver just makes you resilient. I mm. think it makes you comfortable when you're facing challenges and you're going to face these in mathematics, but also just out in the real world, you're going to be comfortable facing those challenges and change when change occurs. And, and you know how to face those challenges with some of these skills. You're just going to develop perseverance. Something we, we should definitely talk more about. Yep. I see a future podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let's do it. All right, David, it is time for math is not a joke. All right. Or is it? You've got some so jokes. I do. Today. I got I a couple. I don't have any. I don't you have don't, any. Okay. All right. So I got two here for you today. Okay. So why was the equal sign so humble? Oh, I like the equal sign stuff. Why was the equal sign so humble? He knew he wasn't less than or greater than anyone else. Oh, that's, that's a good one. Why didn't the quarter roll down the hill with the nickel? Why didn't the quarter roll down the hill with the nickel? I don't, I don't know. Because he had more sense. Oh, oh, <laughs> the good ones, cute, love it. All right, guys, wrapping things up today. Join us each time, guys, as we offer professional learning through humor, conversations focused on math content, pedagogy, student performance, best practices that result in success for all. Just remember, wherever you are, math, math happens. happens.